Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Did you guys really just try to replace my intro with some audio clip? That's it, pants coming off. Sci-fi malady, symptom 231. Klaatu, Varada, Welcome back, sickies, to the final episode of First Contact February with a film that I have been wanting to do for a long time and for some reason I've always put off somehow and this seemed the most apt time to do it and that is the 1951 Robert Weiss film uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, not the crappy one with uh, Keanu Reeves, the original one. Starring Michael Rennie, Patricia Neal, and Hugh Marlowe. So this is, uh, like I said, director was Robert Weiss, and the writers were Edmund H. North, and then based on a story by Harry Bates. And Scott, before, you know, as we were gearing up here, Scott pointed out that this was a very apt movie to do right now. Um given that if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, how let's say years from now, or first of all, awesome that you're catching up. Thank you for that. But if you're listening to this, say a month or two or three from now, and you're wondering what's he talking about, what's rage talking about, it would be the fact that just this week, Russia has invaded Ukraine. So as we record this, uh, Ukraine is fighting for its very existence, uh, as, as Kiev is under assault. But yeah, yeah, that's where the, we're at. Uh, we record this. the general uh, Bond villain tyrant that is Vladimir Putin is uh, doing that right now. So, um, is day, it day three of the war is about to start? Um, so, is it entirely apt? Well, I mean, maybe I don't know, but it's always apt. It's it's yeah. I was gonna say that uh, that would be better put, Thomas. That it's a message that should always be on our minds even in peacetime so so before i bury this lead uh the day the earth stood still like i said this was a film i've wanted to do for years my father showed it to me when i was a kid and boy did it blow my mind the basic premise is that an alien named klaatu arrives from mars and you know, one of the first things he does is, well, that's a pick. I don't want to do that. But despite trying to be a nice guy and give some gift, he's shot because he lands in Washington, D.C. And his intention is to deliver a message to Earth's scientific and political leaders. Uh, but he winds up just going out and meeting people of Earth. And long story short, um, he ha- he delivers the message that he represents an intergalactic f- federation, if you will, that have learned to be quite peaceful together. And it has come to their attention that Earth is now in the nuclear age, which is one step close to the space age. And if Earth has decided to launch nuclear weapons at each other just within their own borders, so be it. But if they try to, if they hit the stars and bring their uh, nuclear weapons out into space, the aliens will eradicate the entire planet. Because in the words of Klaatu himself, he has no patience for stupidity. And so this was a very much timed for the Cold War. You know, the Cold War was just ramping up, and this was... Uh, that's where this film came. And... And I don't think I need to cover much more than that. We'll cover stuff in rips and picks, but um, so I'll just jump into the fun facts, and then we can get into the discussions because there's a lot there today. Uh, the first one is Locke Martin, the guy who played the robot Gort, was chosen simply because he was he tall. was tall. That's it. It turns out though he was tall but not physically strong, and he could not carry Patricia Neal. 
They had so, to use a doll. I saw it that one. They, they not only that, they had to use wires. And not only that, he couldn't even stay in the in the robot costume for more than a half hour. In fact, towards the end, when he was when Klaatu was giving his final warning speech, you could look and you'll see the arms move ever so slightly because he was starting to have muscle spasms. Um, the ship was made of wooden, I think, paper mache, and to make it look like the uh, door was opening seamlessly, they put putty in the cracks and then painted it over. And so then played the, it in backwards. It t- exactly. So the door, when it opened, ripped the putty off, and when they wanted to put it back, they just played it backwards. Easy peasy. Um, also, in regard to the effects department, there's a scene that shows the crowd running, and they it looks sped up clearly. That's because it was, not because there was a technical issue. It was because the extras who were running apparently were doing such a bad job looking panic-stricken that uh, Burke had to, uh, the director, not Burke, um, Why Robert Wise, decided in editing that we have to speed it up so that at least it looks like they're trying to run because apparently these extras are not have never been afraid of anything. Oh, so he they was, just walked away calmly? Or did a brief, a brisk little jog. Like they were a day in the park. I don't know. But, um, so, uh, on, as for effects as well, Bernard Herman, he was the, did the music and he used two Thurmans to create the eerie music, one high, one pitched higher, the other lower. And Thurmans were these kind of, um, they first came out in the 20s, I believe. And they were supposed to be a new kind of instrument. And it didn't really take off, obviously, but science fiction writers and films used it for great effect, and we see that here. Is a Thurman um, a cousin of a Thetan? Uh, I hope not. Because <laughs> if it were, if it were ther- all Theremins need to be destroyed. Well, I'm pretty um, sure this was one of the more popular and examples of this being used the instrument which then gave us the very iconic sci-fi sound that yes pretty much yes. known right and that started about the 20s i want to say but yeah it be exactly it became a very iconic sci-fi sound maker um as for the so there was some information about the effects and some of the cast Doubles were used for Klaatu and Bobby, Patricia Neal's character, uh, in long shots of them walking around D.C., because in reality, none of the actors were ever in D.C. They were in some soundstage, backlot soundstage. Um, Michael Rennie, speaking of him, was cast as Klaatu because he was an unknown, and it was afraid that if we used a famous actor, then the alien nature of them would be denuded it wouldn't it would wouldn't look as good because everyone would be like hey that's marlon brando or whoever they chose um oh you mean like how earlier we were seeing hawkeye and rival instead of dr what's his name yeah basically uh patricia neal who was uh hired to be the main leading lady, Bobby, has admitted in interviews that she thought the film was going to go nowhere. She Because at that time, there was a preponderance of sci-fi flying saucer films, and that's what she thought this was, and even had trouble keeping a straight face during some of the filming. How wrong she was. She had no idea it would become the big hit that it became. Oh, uh, admittedly, I mean, the, some of her lines were a little crazy, yes. but... Yes. Um, Two production notes, and then we'll just get on with it. Um, One is that the Army refused to cooperate after reading the script because they didn't like the Army getting... The Army didn't like to be appeared to be being spanked. So nothing new has changed from that. No. So the director went to the National Guard, who just kind of shrugged and went, all right. And that's National Guard in that film. So any soldiers you see are National Guard, not the Army. 
And the equations seen on Professor Barnhart's blackboard are actually authentic physics, and they are the three-body problem from Newtonian gravitation, which is has no real closed solution and um, is used in a lot of interstellar space travel. So, um, neat. <laughs> so, I think that's good enough for the fun facts because I really want to get into the the overall theme here. And the theme is clear as day. You know, the director um, and the writers made the screenplay because they were anti-war and, well, one of them believed in UFOs. I forget which one. But they were very much anti-war, anti-army, and very nervous about the Cold War. I mean, honestly, who wasn't back then? Um... And that's really what this is. This is kind of like a if if someone who was an independent third party were to watch us on Earth, what would they say? And well, here's the answer. If you guys want to kill each other, fine, but keep it to yourselves. You guys want to be stupid, fine, but keep it to yourselves. Um so Scott, you know, you said this is really apt for today. Uh, why do you think that? Let's start with that anti-war message. Why do you think that's apt for today? I think it's apt, and I think it's also somewhat somewhat sad. This movie was written in, in 1951 when there was a belief in the concept of the United Nations that eventually you could come up with a way to, to confederate the world nation so that you could eliminate war. And that then that the United Nations would be able to act together and band together to prevent something like that ever happening again. And at the risk of getting too topical and too political, here we are 70 years later and 71, 70 and a half, whatever. And we have um, a completely impotent United Nations that cannot stop a war of conquest going on in Europe right now. We have a completely impotent NATO that will not act to stop this war, going a war of conquest against a peaceful nation in Europe. And um, all, all these things designed to keep peace aren't working. We're trying to do it with economic sanctions. We're trying to do it with, you know, uh, discussions between uh, the nations of the world. And it, it's proven that when you have a megalomaniac who is intent on conquest or on giving his uh, his populace a external enemy so that they don't focus on his failures as a leader and uh, the, the abject poverty that they live in, uh, you can't stop it. And we're still a divided world. We're still a world, I'll say this, we're still a world that values um, whatever our definition of us is more than them. And we look at it right now, we have all the NATO countries saying, we're sending troops to make sure that this doesn't happen to a NATO nation. Uh, you know, the Ukraine, they got to go it alone because we're going to value the lives in Poland more than we'll value the lives of the citizens well, of the Ukraine or the sovereignty of Poland more. So well, we're still Scott. this nation that is divided, we're this world that is divided. And that's kind of, I think, what was sitting here, the, the theme of this message, this movie to me was... Here we are, all one species, all one people. But he comes in and he says, I have a message to the people of Earth. And, and Harley's trying to explain to him why it would be impossible to speak to all of the leaders of Earth at one time. Because we're so petty, and we're so tribal, and we're so focused on who is part of our group versus who is part of the group that is not us, that we couldn't even get together to do that. And, and in the face of certain destruction... It's not known if we actually chose at the end of this movie to live. And here we are 70 years later, and I don't think there's been much progress made on that front. Well, you know, again, not trying to take this into political malady, but Scott, um, at the end of the day, NATO was designed not to go into a non-NATO country. So uh, not to say that you're wrong about, not to say that you're wrong that a military solution isn't needed, but uh, if the you idea was that... UN and NATO together. Yeah, if, Na if NATO was designed to go into non-NATO countries, then um, 
why that just becomes some kind of police force that NATO can do whatever they want. You're, you're a so. million, you're a million percent right there. I simply brought that up to say so. that it's still the attitude of we will defend, we we will value what we consider ours more and, than and, what and, we consider well, separate that, from ours. That, that was kind of the point. But anyway, I, again, also, not to get also, into I mean. If you're going to bring it up, it's not just now that the UN has been useless. I mean, the UN's basically been useless since its inception. I mean, right. the idea of it was great, but it's never actually been able to do anything that it's actually been designed to I do. Agree. I agree. That that was kind of my point. Seventy years later, eighty years later, the the United Nations is <laughs> is nothing more than a bunch of people who issue proclamations and hope that people follow them. Yeah, well, and then there you go. Now you're more online. But but um that no, that's a good point that here we are. I mean, this film was trying to warn people, "Hey, you're not a uh, um you guys, it, it was almost like a warning like, "Hey, you know, you could join us if you guys could get your act together." That there was also that kind of I mean, it was Klatu never said that, but uh, it became more or less, it was kind of an implied meaning, like, hey, if you guys could get it together, you would be able to join us. But because you insist on doing this, well, then fine, kill yourselves if you want, but... I, I think it was also a very clear message to peace. Not just you know together, but it was, dude. You you guys have made nukes, and now that you're pointing at each other, you are on the verge of wiping everything out, destroying the world. Yeah, I mean, and this is the difference. Wars in the past were bloody, terrible things, but a war could not wipe out the planet in a day. Right. So it, it, it's a big step that's like, okay, guys, fighting is bad. We all have all established this. Now we are pointing weapons that can wipe out the entire species at each other, and we're now swinging those things around like they're nothing. Yeah. So, so it's, I think it's a, that message also. And, you know, it just also explains how, you know, Klaatu wanted to get with all of the leaders. And you almost wonder, and now I'm just speculating, but if there was almost this hope that if I get the scientific leader, and specifically he wanted the scientific leaders because the belief was the men of science won't be as dumb as the politicians. I mean, well, haha, theory, but, you know, there it is. But the idea was, if I can get these people, maybe they'll agree with me and work together now. But that obviously wasn't going to happen. So, uh, that's the main point of the. I think that's just the main point of this message, of this film, that you almost think that that's the undertone as well if these leaders could just be more scientific and rational in their thinking, they would realize we've just made, as Thomas said, weapons that could wipe the earth out in a day. What's the point of that? What's the point? How stupid and narcissistic do you have to be to think that if no one, if I can't have it, no one can, I'm going to wipe it all out as long as if the, I don't care if the house is burning. That just means that I, if, you know, nobody else gets it either. Uh, there is a purpose. You're going to hate me for this, but there is a purpose for those weapons. It's the long piece. Well, I'm not going to hate you for it. I'm just going to say that from a rational, logical point of view, uh, what's the point of having weapons? What's the point to have making those weapons if they're going to just... Sit there and not get used to prevent anyone from fighting one another. The long piece. Literally, we've gone 
since World War II, this is the first actual military conflict is now happening today. The first time in how many decades against two actual economic powers. We're not talking, you know, little guerrilla wars or anything. This is the first time two economic actual powers have gone to war. But and on the European mainland. Yes. And so, I mean, you do have to say at least there has been some purpose. Well, I do think the movie is making a commentary about the only way... I think the movie's making a, a sledgehammer to the face commentary about the only way that flawed, terrible human beings will ever achieve peace. As Klaatu said, we gave dominion over that to the robots. We cannot stop them. We gave them the ability, and that if we become violent, they destroy the aggressor entirely, immediately, completely. And I think yeah. there, there is an uh, allusion to the theory... God. Well, no, well, there's definitely, we'll talk about the... Uh, yeah, that's next. Go on. Yeah, we'll talk about the, the, the Jesus illusion with, with Klaatu later. But um, there's definitely an allusion to nuclear weapons eventually making war so terrible and, and the ultimate escalation so costly that we would realize that to go to war would mean the destruction of all of us so no one would go to war. Um. I think that was the ultimate, as Thomas said, the long peace. Your ultimate theory is, you know, okay, we have this weapon. That was our theory first with the United States. We have this weapon. If you don't surrender and put down your arms, we will strike you with this weapon that you can't defend against, so there's no point in even defying us. Then other countries got those that capability. So now, you know, ultimately, it became a theory of no one will go to war because if you go to war, you'll just annihilate everybody, you know. But I think at this point now, the world has become so confident in the fact that no one's going to use them uh, that, that, that we kind of, in some ways, strike them from the calculus. And that's kind of, in a little ways, I think, what is being tested right now in the Ukraine. Uh, Putin is, is threatening. I mean, he basically, he said, you will find out that Russia is a, a global power with a lot of nukes. Um, he's trying to see if he can threaten people into not stopping him because they believe that he might be mad enough to use them. But I think this movie well, is making that commentary and a long way to get back to that, that the only way to eliminate war from the human species is to make it so costly that we won't well, even consider starting a war because we know what the end result will be. Well, there's well, also the idea of giving up all your free will and power to a, well, at the time wasn't thought of, but, you know, robots, so basically an AI controlling everything. Yeah, who's going to be impartial? Oh, well, hypothetically, anyway. So him, uh, impartial that yeah, and they're going to act unfeelingly. Oh, you're the aggressor, you die. The end. No yeah. discussion, no debate. Which, you, which resorted again, to, you resorted uh, to aggression. Right, yeah. which, which again has its own problems, in my, in my mind at least, because it's, well, it, it brings know. up, oh, great, you were aggressive. Well, I mean, war is just diplomacy by other means. It's... It's a bad way of doing it, but it is still a valid process. So this I mean, is, well, you remember, sci-fi is a lot like Scott, a lot of philosophy. Well, yes. So but it, you don't want to think of it that way and talk about it that way. You just want to go very much black and white, which this movie does do. It's very black and white in its aspects. So it's very hit you in the face with this. But and, I. I do like some of the aspects that it does betray. I mean, Claptu does not get shot because the military suddenly just starts shooting. It's because it's someone, someone got scared. Yeah. yeah, someone got scared and pulled the trigger. Well, the, the, the first that. time, the first time, the second time, there doesn't seem to be any panic fire going on. <laughs> well, it's when they figure out that the robot can melt a tank and, okay, back off here, please. Yeah, but what I mean, else can that yeah. thing do? When Klaatu gets shot the second time, uh, they, they just, like, he's running, and they're just kind of like, well, told you to stop. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's a slight different scene, but I'm talking the first time. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, but 
I actually know, love uh, that scene. Uh, I'll save that for a pick. Okay. Um, I think that uh, the other point to be made here, possibly, and I don't know if that's where he was going, but the robots are almost a kind of God reference in that, you know, it almost reminds me of the book Lord of the Flies by William Golding, which was made a few years after this, published a few years after this, where the boys are running around the island killing each other, and they only stop when the British Navy shows up. You know, they light the island on fire, and a naval vessel happens to catch him, comes up, the boys all get to the beach, and there's some naval captain sitting, standing there looking at them, and they all sit down and obey because an adult now showed up, not just an adult, but a captain. And he was representing God. And the character of Simon was the Christ figure, the one whom tried to give them uh, peace so they don't go crazy in fear. And they killed him for it in a frenzy. And this film is very much doing that. You know, I, uh, you know, Scott, you mentioned Clat, who's the Christ-like figure. He came to warn and got shot for it. And uh, Gort, the robot, is... Um, is I guess you would say the God figure in that, well, if this is how you're going to carry on, then I'm just going to wipe you all out. And the, the other thing, you know, you guys say that this is a sledge in the face. It is. And let me reiterate what I said when I said it with Godzilla. You know, a lot of people today will complain that certain films or whatnot with a, a, a message isn't being subtle enough. And that's not an unvalid, an invalid argument. But I think a better point would be, again, to make is this. You can be sledgehammer to the face, but you got to satisfy a few, a few criteria. One being, um, are you the person to make the statement? You know, Robert Kurtzman is not the guy to make a statement about um, race or LGBTQ or whatever. He's just a bad director. He does. He's not speaking from personal experience. Mark, Mark, Mark. I, I, I think you can make a. It's not the person. You can make well a, a message you, that you don't have to have the personal experience. I know. But, well, hang on. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. It's all. It all works together. It all works together. So. One, it's who's saying it that lends weight. Because in the case of here, the director was living the times and being afraid. And so he's coming from a personal experience. And you're right, does it have to be that? No, but it certainly helps. But then the other requirements are, two, are you preachy or are you pleading? And that's a much bigger difference. Because, again, a guy like Kurtzman has put himself on a throne or, you know, this week there was a not to don't want to get into this topic. I'm just using the example. Den of Geek recently made an article about the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon coming out. That was one of those. Well, here's why everyone hates it. It's because they're all a bunch of all right trolls, you know, the same old, same old. and. It's like, no, it's because the creators are putting themselves on a high horse and calling themselves better than you for questioning them. Whereas this author, or like the guys from Godzilla, they were coming with a passionate plea and a appeal to our, the better angels of our nature. And that is a far more powerful thing than wagging your finger at me and acting like you're better than me because well, I didn't agree with you or oh, whatever. The, the Jesus the attitude yeah. of it is what is the most yeah, important. Yeah, the hubris, exactly. The hubris is missing in this show, in this. Yep. It's more the, dear God, please listen. And and Klaatu as Jesus is a little more subliminal. That one is not in your face. I mean, right, he, right. he, he yeah, comes right. to the earth with a message for all mankind. He's killed by military authority. He's resurrected. He gives his name as John Carpenter. 
which Jesus was a nod to Jesus. And, right, Jesus yeah. being a carpenter. Yes. Um, yes. You know, he's got he he gives mankind a an option to save themselves by accepting his message or to choose death. And he ascends into the sky. Yeah. There's a lot oh, yeah. of it's I very mean, much it's yeah. very much there, but, but but I think the difference being that it's that is something that's there obviously. It's if you take a second you can find it. But the more important thing, the message it's trying to drive forwards, again, it's pleading more than preaching. It also has this attitude of, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you, this is a problem. We yeah, need I'm to shining fix a, it. I'm shining a mirror. Right. It, it's not, this is bad. We must fix it. It's like, hey, guys, look. It, it's obvious. Just take a second. Yeah, it's, it's not the stupid, you need to do better. It's the putting up the mirror going, guys, do you see what I see? I like that there's also a message in there that a truly advanced and enlightened society learned that atomic energy has uses beyond the military. Well, I mean, that is, uh, it's a fact that. Well, um, we, we knew technological that. Before. Yeah, but technological developments invariably wind up in the hands of a military that just. I mean, I remember on the History Channel, they had that show from tactical to practical. Good show, by the way. Um, back when History Channel was history. And it talked about things like, heck, GPS. Got to oh, yeah. start there. Um, GPS uh, is a good one. Radios, phones, internet. I mean, I internet mean, was all military first. So, oh, I mean, I mean of course. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying I like the fact that it, it took a... A moment to underline that message and say these great advances in science don't have to be used for destruction right right we right. know that so. but i like that it underlined that especially in 1951 when the focus on atomic was that it was you know going to i mean there were the other focuses about you know how it could be used but the big big thing on everyone's mind was and every government's mind is how do we use it to create big weapons to blow up our enemies yeah so uh, there's really thematically not a whole lot to talk about more because we've nailed it. And again, it, it, the message was obvious and it was a plea. It was holding up the mirror and pleading, guys, do you see what I see? And it's, you know, I really like, Thomas, how you put it, that it's a message for all time, not just now. This was as this message was as prevalent a year ago or ten years ago as it was as it is today. That's why nineteen fifty one for that matter. It it saddens me. In a way, this movie saddens me because we're we're seventy years out after after two wars in twenty years that were supposed to make us never want to have war again and a weapon that made yeah, it so wow. terrible. And we We've slid back into protectionism and and carving out our little corner of the resources to make sure that That's... we can't be shut out of those resources. We're 70 years on. It is still an apt message. It's every bit as apt today as That's it was 70 years ago. That's what sad sucks. Ebb and f it's the sad ebb and flow of history. I mean... It is. It is. It hurts my... It hurts my Roddenberry humanist soul that believes that we can um <laughs> yeah. that we can evolve in a direction towards being better well, because we can be better and we decide to be better. And we realize that it, you know, the life of of someone in India I'll, is worth every bit the life of someone in Columbus, Ohio, and that there's no premium on that. And that it makes it's just as important to eliminate hunger and homelessness and food shortage in America as it is in Colombia. And, and instead of We know that, the truth. You just want to take a trip on the Enterprise and see planets. Oh, who doesn't? Well, I'm sure I could yeah. find no, someone no, who it doesn't, just, but... <laughs> the truth of the matter is that, that this is what we are. We're willing to share when we have enough, and when we think we might have not enough, we're willing to fight and screw other people over to make sure that the people that we identify with have enough that's who we are it's still hard lined in to our genetics and it's still our go-to it's still our default i'm guilty of it we're all guilty of it and it just it does hold us back to civilization it's yeah I, 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 on a smaller scale i look at it like this 
the great American experiment was tough to get off the ground because people would think of themselves as a man from Massachusetts first and a uh, person from Virginia first and an American second. To a larger extent, we don't think that way today in America. Um, yeah, but we're, it took we're years. Right. So how do we... How do we it took write... a civil war, honestly. Yeah. I, well, right. yeah, honestly, yeah. How do we write that experiment bigger? How do we write that experiment bigger so that, well, so that the whole world stops? Like, we don't think well, of the value uh, uh, of a homeless child in Ohio as being more important than the well, value of a homeless child wait, wait. in Colorado. If you want to talk about that, then we have to talk about culture. We have to talk about religion. We have to talk about a million aspects. Yeah, a biggie. It, it, yeah, but it that, works in America. Question. It works that's in a, America as a microcosm because we are the great melting pot. We have most of the world biggie. religions here. We have most of the world's cultures and races here, and we still see people say, "Well, I don't want to send money to go feed starving children uh, in that country until we've taken care of all the starving children here." I see, you know, a biggie, Scott. I would say, and and not to derail too much longer on this, but is language. Um, language is a barrier towards connectivity. Um, you do see. The first, I guess you would say, rumblings of that being kind of negated with the preponderance of English. Uh, but that's, as Thomas pointed out, that's just one factor of many. So, uh, well, I mean, I'm just. I, you're right, Mark, but they're all artificial constructs. That, that we come up with as reasons to identify with one over another oh, and place yeah, a premium sure. on one over another. I'm not saying sure. it's ever going to go away. I'm just saying it's a fundamental flaw in humanity, maybe. And uh, it, it sucks whoa, whoa, that we're whoa, really whoa. not making no. any any progress no. on fixing that. It, it's whoa, 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 whoa! I don't think it's a flaw. A hundred percent. And hear me out. It works its way up from the smallest group, which is the family. You value your family the most, and you're family you will protect at all costs and then it works its way up um and to your friends and your neighbors then to your city and your state and your country and it, it works your way up but it keeps the species alive that way i mean it's a survival mechanism in simple terms now in the modern world how much is it needed not so much but right. it's still valuable. It's valuable. It's valuable. You're right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm saying it's that it can get in the way of the utilitarian ideas of would I throw the railroad switch if my mom's on the track and 10 other people are? That question. But it also comes up to that point where you will do so much and you will self-sacrifice so much to protect someone that you value who's in your family unit that is important. I mean, that has its purpose. I mean, yeah. people, I mean, going to war, you consider the, your, the guy in your trench in your foxhole next to you, your brother, you you consider that person part of that closest value. You will let yourself get shot to protect that person next to you. So it's not a bad thing. I think it comes in the way sometimes. So the problem is that if that we haven't figured out a way of getting rid of some of those divides if we could get everyone to be closer and felt more close to one another you might not have that issue as a counter to this you know and, and i think that there were the events in the last two years have made this a lot more clear um i think i think that mindset is a is a throwback it was much more necessary when Malthusian, I think I just said that wrong, equations dominated the world where you had a shortage and you didn't have enough food and you didn't have enough energy and it was just a struggle to get enough resources to counteract population growth. We live in a time where we should have more than enough food and more than enough energy, more than enough resources to supply the world where we don't have resource scarcity and shortages. Um, 
It, should, no. it be, should it be everyone having a, 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 a plenty of those resources? No. As Barack Obama once said, for others to have more, you have to have less. And people really didn't like that. And he said, for the world to be um, have a better standard of living, maybe the United States needs to have a little less. And nobody wanted to hear that, and people got really upset about that. But it's also probably the truth. You have an imbalance of resources to the, to the rich world versus the developing world. And the last two years has demonstrated a little bit we had a supply shortage. We saw how scarce resources can be. We had a little bit of an energy crunch, and now we're scrambling to to reshore these production methods so that we can control them so that we will never be on the short end of the stick, and we're seeing people hoarding things. We saw hoarding of vaccines for a while to make sure we had enough for our own versus the people who might be dying in the other countries. If we could get past this fear... That if I don't hoard these resources for me and my own, we won't have enough. And so I would rather make sure that I have more than enough for me and my own at the expense of the um, livelihood and maybe survival of these people over here. Then we could move towards a more egalitarian society and we're never going to get to a utopia, but we could make a lot more progress if we could look on a way to simply look and say it is not okay for the abundance of riches and resources we have in country A and in country B we have children who can't get clean drinking water okay yes and that's a very good point I'm going to also say some of it comes down to vocations some of it comes down to culture some comes down to language some comes down to the political system that some of these people live under. Well, for for locations, there shouldn't be a society in Las Vegas, Nevada. There shouldn't be a society in Arizona. We we spend tons of money shipping water out to make those... Los Angeles, we spend tons of money shipping resources to make those areas viable for settlement. So if we can do that there, we can do that to some of these other... um, Isolated areas that maybe shouldn't be supporting a population. So, in simpler terms, you th- you are saying imperialism. I, no, I want us to identify first as human beings, and secondly, as Americans or Europeans or Englishmen or Ukrainians or Russians. I want us to well, identify first as human beings. And until we do that, until we do that, you're going to see what we've seen in our society for years, which is when we have, when we have a surplus, we, we embrace the better angels of our nature. As soon as we think we have a shortage, we're ready to close ranks and protect only those that we identify as part of our group. Think we have a shortage. Interesting choice, though. But um, I get what you're saying, and this movie did bring this up. It, it brought it, up our inability to think of ourselves as one collective society, and it, which, it demonstrated how we think of ourselves. Yes, which I think will never happen because, again, genetically speaking, for survival, of it, simply, it's hardwired into us to protect what we consider close, which is always family moving up. So that will always be that thing that, yeah, we are one country or one state. We're always going to think of ourselves as that first before we ever think of, because it works our way up. Before we think of humanity, we'll always think of brothers and sisters. It makes me wonder if that would change if we found out that there was a intergalactic society out there and humanity was one race among Oh, would 10, it cause, see, well, but, the, it could cause just the opposite, though. It could cause the fear and the uneasiness of, oh, there's more out there. We must now protect what we consider us even more. It might expand our definition of us, though. We might all of a sudden stop seeing a difference culturally uh, because we have a different interpretation of religion or certain languages when all of a sudden there are... 800 different sentient races that um, are radically different from us. 
then we might realize how silly it was to think that there was a difference between a human being in um, Chile and a human being in um, Estonia. Well, see, th- there's a difference. I don't think there's a difference between human and human. Yeah, but we tend to think we tend to put a premium on that. We do tend to put a premium on the human that comes from our tribe, for lack of a better term. We well, tend well, to put a premium on an American life. There's a lot of people right now saying, yeah, there's a lot of people going to die in the Ukraine right now, and it's terrible what's going to happen to them. But it's not worth American lives to save those Ukrainian lives. And I, don't, I can't square that thinking with Christianity. I can't square that thinking with most of the world's major religions. I can't square that thinking in my mind with the person that I want to be. Well, you, you, you as a, you, you love to think of things with just pure numbers sometimes. And right now, I think emotionally, you're getting very, uh, thinking that military solutions are the factor. But I mean, just your example, what would happen if we sent American troops to fight Russia right now? We're talking World War III. How, just if we're talking human to human, how many Ukrainians will die and Russians will die versus how many millions of Russians, yeah. Americans, Polish, there, There's definitely German, a utilitarian French. counting to standing by and letting it happen. But I guess I'm saying, without going down that whole route, because it's different than the topic we're, we're on, I think that <laughs> yeah, there's definitely logic to what you're saying. And yes, I do tend to get caught away in... um trying not to value one over the other in thinking about it from a theoretical or as Mark said, a a philosophical point of view. But I think that definitely I'm hammering it into the ground beating a dead horse, but I think this movie is definitely definitely saying that we need to change how we think about ourselves and I I think it's a critique against nationalism. And as I've grown older, I tend to get really, I tend to dislike nationalism, and I think it's probably, they say money's the root of all evil. Nationalism is the root of a lot of our evils. Well, I I mean, as much as I'd love to say money is the root of all evil, actually the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But um, I would say that this this film is, well, I don't know about anti-nationalism, but it's certainly anti-military this film that is for sure so yep um yes yes but you know um you know this is this was turning into political malady here so by the way one day when political malady sickies when political malady starts in 2028 you just got a sample of it uh and yeah. you know, it was a good comedy good chat but i want to jump into rips and picks because Ooh, oh, good, absolutely. I, uh, absolutely. good because yes. my favorite rip or rip pick <laughs> as of right now anyway would be the klatu veratu niktu just because it has been so copied um by not just army of darkness which you heard at the beginning but um so many other uh sci-fi films and others have referenced this uh in fact i want to say star wars did as well i can't remember where though but just this film that that's how you know your film did something iconic when everyone's copying it well i mean so that's also, my it's also been uh quoted as being inspiration for so many directors and producers yes. and so, Klaatu Verada Nikto is my first. In fact, the there's an alien race in Star Wars called a Nikto. There you go. Um, and there is also Klaatunians. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, and they're all they all happen to be aliens in Jabba's palace. So <laughs> anyway, that was my first pick. Go on, whoever's next. Okay, I got one. The fantastic. Uh, green screening that they did. <laughs> yeah, for the I mean, time. For the time, that is outstanding special effects that even don't look terrible. I mean, they don't look great. I mean, it doesn't look terrible. 70 years later, most of the, the visual quality of this film holds up. Yeah, which is impressive. 
I mean, yes, you can tell, ooh, that's a statue. Oh, ooh, that's a puppet right now. But even that, it's like, eh. It, it does a very good job and holds up very well to this day, which is saying something for a, mm-hmm. for a sci-fi film of the time, which, again, sci-fi was considered a complete joke when this was made. Well, so, it was considered just one of those pulpy type, you know. Yeah. And film, I guess you would say. All right, so, I got I, I got a rip. It's definitely an anti-army film. Uh there is an alien spaceship and an alien robot that is sitting in the um basically the park, the mall, and um the army leaves two soldiers on guard. That's an entire two soldiers. I also like the beginning when when the thing lands and they're and they're talking about the extent of the military buildup around it. I think I saw like four tanks, a couple dudes with machine guns, and um <laughs> not even half a company. Um of of not crack troops, guys who are so jittery that they just shoot the alien when he says hello. Well, that's you understand that because of limitations of what they could get. So you're you're right, yes. but you kind of ex, you kind of ex, um, accept it because of that. Like, well, this is all they're going to get from the national guard, so I guess they have to make do. I also, I don't know but if you're right. A, it does look ridiculous. It does look ridiculous. I don't know if this like is a week. Yeah, no, it was like April 9th to like May 23rd or something. But yeah, um, I also I also love. I don't know if it's a rip or a pick. I I don't know how to say. It. I was just cracking up at the. At the portrayal, at the at the portrayal of late 1940s, early 1950s man. Hello, yeah. I'm here to court you. I don't know. Do you think that that Mr. Carpenter will be jealous of our time? I don't like him too much. I don't like how he's taken to you and Bobby. He seems weird and strange. I don't know about him. All right, we're gonna go out on a date now, and I'm gonna leave and leave the strange man at home with my kid. 1950s America, folks. You got, I I was seeing how odd it would be. You got stranger danger was not a thing. They're all living in the same house. He just walks in. I would like a room. It was was a boarding house, though. Yeah. But, and and you had the 1950s tropes. Of course, he tells uh, Mrs. Benson. um, It's Mrs. Benson, right? Mm, Yeah. He tells her. He tells her what to say, and she goes to see the robot, and he knows, she knows she's got to say three words, but it's 1951, so she's got to be the damsel in distress and scream and look like an idiot and trip and fall over before yeah. she remembers she has to say those three words. 1951 right. America, folks, in all yep. its glory. Uh, oh, the other one. One more. One more rip, and then I will stand down. Three doctors, all talking about life expectancy, is 130 years old. How do, you, how do they say Well, his medicine's better than us. As he lights up a cigarette, and the other doctor lights up a cigarette. <laughs> well, remember back then, too, the full extent of cigarettes was unknown. Smoke Lucky Strikes. It's good for your Q-zone. Oh, the, well, they, it, let's put it this way. Gramps once told me in, in the 40s, or late 40s, he was at a, a job site. He was a carpenter at the time. And he was doing the house of a doctor in Cleveland Heights, and two of they took a smoke break, and the doctor came home and looked at him and went, oh, you guys are keeping me in business. You should smell your lungs when I have to cut you guys open from smoking. And so I think they knew the effect, but it hadn't been published yet. So, yeah, the people were still working on the, as you just said, Scott, smoke lucky strikes. It'll help you grow or whatever. New from Lucky Strikes, Lucky Lights. For when you're pregnant and you don't want to smoke a full menthol cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I want to do a pick in that the scientific delegate was an Indian woman named Rama Bai and Spencer Chan. It's like, wow, non-white scientific delegates. For the 50s, that is, like, really progressive. You know, you're right. I mean, by today's standards, that'd just be a shrug and a, okay. But by 1951, acknowledging that a a non-white woman could be a scientific delegate was, like, oh, interesting. Something I didn't notice, of course, until I rewatched the film, but... 
So no, that's you're, a pick. You're, you're absolutely right. Very interesting. I didn't even think of yeah. that. Exactly. Because, well, because it doesn't phase us anymore. It's pretty standard, but for that time, it was a big deal. Also, I like how they showed the fear. You know, we talked about fear last week, fear of being wrong. Here, it's just fear of the unknown. You know, and it, a trigger-happy soldier who gets, um, he doesn't, he, he's muzzle-happy, for one, and he gets nervous and panics and shoots, uh, shoots Klaatu. Muzzle-happy? Yeah, I, I actually heard that term from a, a, an army ranger who was in Iraq. He was training Iraqi police, and I asked him, well, how'd that go? And he's like, oh, they're muzzle-happy. means they like to pull up their rifle before as a, as a first matter of course. Ah, gotcha. Just so, never heard that one before. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I never heard of it until when I was living in Prague, and I was a coworker of mine was an army ranger in Iraq. And he just said, oh, yeah, the Iraqi police are real muzzle-happy. Okay. So, but yeah, you had a muzzle happy soldier who, I mean, you know, to a degree you expect that, but also he got twitchy and he pulls this alien pulls out a thing and for all you know, it's a freaking laser or yeah. flamethrower or whatever. Like that, that might be how that goes today. Oh, it's our first contact sure. with alien life. Gun, 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 gun. I mean, I mean, look at, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, come on. It's so it was, well, an... I mean, you're trained to point at th- your weapon at a threat. And let's be honest, this is definitely probably a th- possible threat because it, it just is... landed in Washington. Yeah. DC. As far as you're concerned. Yeah. And, and, you know, plus two, remember back in the fifties, it's not exactly like the army was trained in crowd control and riot control. I mean, we didn't really start considering that until Kent State shootings. Up until then, it was like, why would you train the army in crowd control? True. So it wasn't until the Kent State shootings that we realized, maybe we should start doing that. Did anybody um, during the um, electrical outage think it was kind of weird, some of these things that weren't working? Like, I kind of get the cars. I kind of get the motorcycles. There's a guy on a lake in a canoe with an outboard motor. Why was um, why was an EMP keeping the gas motor from working on the canoe? Well, because <laughs> there were no spark plugs somehow. Uh, could actually, you could possibly fry the actual uh, coils in there. So, possibly. I mean, I mean, oh, I got it. Maybe he was just driving around in the Potomac, showed up in D.C. after the fact and was like, hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Also, technically speaking, cars would actually be running because this is before they were all electronic. So. Right. I was going to say there was some that actually makes less. But... That would actually make less sense. I, I was thinking that the car enough. battery would have been, uh, you know, your car battery died. But yeah, you might be you might be right on that. I'm not thinking about the right timetables. But I thought that at first, too. So, I'm like, huh, all these gas-powered cars just stopped cold because the electricity went out. Yeah. yeah. That, w- mm. that would happen nowadays, but that's mainly because cars have more electronics in them than almost oh, anything all, else. I was going to say later, they're all computerized. They later explained that Klaatu's powers work on the rule of magic because um, the planes in the sky didn't go down. Hospitals still have power, and yeah. even though all communications are down, they somehow know the planes in the sky didn't come out of the sky. <laughs> well, they they because he can he can aim it. <laughs> well, it, it, let's be honest. It it seems like magic because we aren't advanced as they are. It was actually uh, quantum entanglement, and it used okay, okay, tachyon beams along with uh, oh, yeah, photons. Tachyons. What what is it? Inverse. Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, tachyon photons. They'll always get. They'll always get you. What is it, Clark's Law? Any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic? Yeah. <laughs> so, any other rips and picks? Uh, I think I, we pretty much covered all 
ones yeah, I had. Yeah, a lot with the themes, too. So. Uh, I'm racking my brain. I thought I had more, but it is almost 1 a.m., and my brain is saying, I'm done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you guys covered it. And plus, we talked a lot about this in the themes, so um, I think we're pretty good to rate this. How many Gort robots do we want to give this? And We had theology the malady last week, and we had political malady this week. <laughs> not as much week? as theology Sociology not as much as Molly, theology Molly. Was, well we'll talk about next week in a minute but I would say I would rate this thing 10 gorts because you know the the, the funny things that we laugh at are the result of um, the the time period it's in you know did, did uh, an alien EMP exist in 51 no did EMP as a concept exist in 51? No, so of course they'd screw it up. I mean, a lot of things that we know now, you know, it's like the old Home Alone commercial saying with modern day, Home Alone could never happen. Well, it could barely happen in the 90s, but even less so now. So you kind of overlook that, especially when you consider that this film was doing everything science fiction does, and that is to use plausible or even fantastical science as a kind of dialogue and or warning about things to come and this film is all of that so 10 out of 10 good acting too by the way i'm going to also give it 10 now i normally give 10s and high scores to films that i say i would rewatch over and over or something like that I don't think I would rewatch this as much. But the thing that gives this one a 10 is different. What gives this a 10 is its influence, and it should definitely be on the list of things to watch. Like, you need to watch this film. Yes, this is a must-see. Yes, so this is a must-see film. It's a good film. It has a good message. It's very influential. And for these reasons, and it kind of holds up even today, and its message holds up, I ha- give it a really good score. Ted. All right, Scott. This film is uh, 1995. It was added to that list of uh, films that are culturally um, significant and protected, and um, there's a reason for that. It, it, is, um, it is an excellent piece of science fiction. It is unfortunately timeless. This message will ring true 100 years from now and probably 300 years from now. Um, it's well acted. It's well paced. It knows the messages and the themes that it's trying to tell you, and it doesn't try to expand into more than it is. It, it doesn't cram in unnecessary side commentary. Um, and it, it knows the message it wants to tell and tells it. Um, this is, this is classic science fiction, and it, it should be something that every aspiring science fiction writer studies, and, um, I can take nothing away from this, and it's, I give it 10 Gort robots out of 10. Um, wow. it is, it is the framework for what a science fiction story, not a science fiction film, not a science fiction book or short story. Period. This is the framework for what you should do with the science fiction story. Wow, that's incredible. This we doesn't happen ten across the board. No, we did it with Apollo thirteen. That's the last one I remember. So, uh, the day the Earth stood still, sickies. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And as an aside, I'm pretty impressed. Sarah watched this with you, Scott. Yeah, she liked it. She was she was hooked on it. I'm kind of kind of impressed. So, ah, uh, looking forward, sickies, starting tomorrow, <laughs> March, we're going to be launching into the Matrix March. We're finally covering the Matrix, and uh, one of the things I think we can all agree on is that starts off strong and progressively gets worse. Uh, that means I have to rewatch the newest one, huh? You, you are you the remainder. You did watch it? 
You yeah. did watch it? Huh. I almost, I was gonna, and then I saw the reviews, and then I realized, well, I'm gonna have to watch it later. I'll just get to it. Uh, I only watched it to see how bad it was, and yes. Well, you succeeded. You are <laughs> the remainder of an unbalanced equation that is a result of the square root of pi to the cubed root of the standard deviation of the square root of an isosceles triangle multiplied by pi. That is you, Neil. And that's... And that started in part two, which is, well, we'll get to that. So, but that's what you can look forward to. In the meantime, you could check out Zodiac Task Force. Last, as I said last week, we dropped an episode with uh, Eros. And that does mean this week, by the way, uh, you should be looking out for the next regular episode, episode eight, or now we're calling them chapters, actually. Excuse me, chapter eight. Uh, written by lovely Shane, and I gotta say, it's a good episode. Not as good as nine, but a good episode. It keeps the story going. Uh, also, the don't forget the Casatorium. That's still a thing. That's still moving strong. And as I said, uh, they haven't, they didn't make an episode this week, I believe. But you can always catch up and look out. Within the next month or so, we're gonna be getting Layla's Case of the Chills. And I'm really looking forward to that because I enjoy that one. But in the meantime, you can stay tuned for Zodiac Task Force. And of course, always us here at, at uh, Sci-Fi Malady. And if you wanted to ask any questions about that, you can hit us on Discord or... www.humanitydepressedscott.com ravinglunaticmedia.com 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 do your part to control the tyrant population. Have your Vlad Putin spayed or neutered. Rage Master, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. Hi, this is Matt Ruckstar auditioning for Army of Darkness. All oh, right, right, I have to say the words. Klaatu! Verona? <laughs> Klaatu? Verona? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, BT dubs. You, Putin. Hey. Hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is our- uh, Sci-fi melody. Dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun.